0: Good morning. I hope you don't mind uh, my beginning on a personal note, as you can uh, see from the picture up on the PowerPoint. Uh, as of Friday night, my uh, oldest, Amy, uh, arrived uh, back uh, from London, England, where she's been doing uh, some international studies. And uh, so she's us for about three and a half weeks until she heads back for her second and final semester there. And I think this picture was taken on a, she calls her Beatles weekend, where they went to all the sites over in Liverpool and there in England. And, uh, you know, the famous Beatles. And, of course, you know, if you're watching the news, you know Ringo's back in in the news because he's coming out with his own album again. And so, anyway, that was for free. (coughs) Murder in in the Cathedral. If you're wondering, uh, my title is taken from a play from the famous playwright T.S. Eliot. And uh, he writes about uh, uh, some events. He wrote this back in 1934, about some events that took place back in the 1200s, 12th century. And uh, although the plot that James is writing about is different than T.S. Eliot's, uh, it's still just as scandalous and surprising. Think about it. Murder at church. I have uh, only one sibling, an older brother. And uh, we, too, went through our times of sibling uh, robbery growing up. And oftentimes our mother would ask a question. And, you know, the dads, when they dealt with this kind of stuff, simply, simply would say, cut it out. But mothers always asked the relational question. And it usually came out something like, who started this? which not only kept us from inflicting too much damage on each other, but it also taught us a lie. And so I can appreciate the story of the mom who had to break up a fight between two boys, and, and she asked them, uh, who started this? And one of them said, he did when he hit me back. And I guess it's true. I guess there are times when we would rather fight And when we fight, we would rather blame. But just as James is about to remind us here, it's even more heartbreaking to realize that some of the worst people to cross are people of the cross. It's true. It's not uncommon for those who are outsiders, those who are not believers, to come into our midst seeking something for their life that has to do with peace, maybe even salvation, only to experience a place that's kind of full of contention and rivalry. Yes, church can be a dangerous place to be at times. As people find themselves in the crossfire of arguments and resentments and power struggles that carry a veneer of spiritual truth, but often are nothing more than personal conflicts between people. And apparently that was true of the church that James is addressing in this letter that we're going through. We all know the, the word, so-and-so has issues. Issues. Well, there were a lot of people at the church that James was addressing that had issues. And so there were all of these skirmishes breaking out in the church there, and Christians were actually living in open antagonism toward each other. And so throughout this letter, James points to all of this corrosive, fact that's taking place in the midst of this church as he makes references to things like quarreling and arguing and anger and prejudice and slander and all these things he says that work antithetical to the, the law of love. And as is typical with James, he faces this with a bluntness and a candidness of a person who understands that if situations like this go unchallenged, they will not go away. And so I want you to pick up with me and listen to James we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you have asked him with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your own desires, your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scriptures say without reason that the spirit he causes to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, remember that James, what he's just gotten through talking about. At the end of the last chapter, he talks about God's wisdom. And he says right here in chapter 3, I think it's verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's as though the Holy Spirit is prompting James to think if that's what true wisdom really looks like, then what's causing all of these fights at church? You see, when God's wisdom is on display, you don't end up with a lot of frivolous church wars. And so, if God's wisdom doesn't start fights, then what does? And where James takes us here is that the war without really originates from the war within. In other words, James doesn't accept the fact that we play the victim. Now, remember back in chapter 1, you know, you've been part of this thing and been sitting through this process over the past several months, as we've been talking about James. James told us that when we were tempted, what? He said, don't blame God. God's not the one who lets us down. Rather, it's the seducing flare-up of our own lust. So, you see, the problem isn't up there. The problem is in here. And now James is telling us, don't play the blame game when you get into a fight, because the problem, more often than not, is not out there. It's, again, in here. What prompts the battle in the church is the civil war in your own heart. As the New Living Translation puts it, what causes quarrel and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? And so, on the top of your outline, if you want to fill it in, we fight with other people because of the lack of peace in our own hearts. It's like Walt Kelly's uh, comic strip uh, creation, Pogo, when he made the classic lines that he's known for, we've met the enemy, you can finish it, and he is us. Now, the Greek word here for desires is revealing. It's, it is the word hedone. Hedone, which is where we get the word hedonism. And as you know, hedonism is the philosophy of life that says the pursuit of my own pleasure, the pursuit of my own interest in life is the highest aim in my life. And so what James is saying is that, that we fight because each of us is so bent on getting what we want. Look again at verse 1. This time, as Peterson renders it in the message. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happened? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. He didn't. Back in 1986, there was a fatal collision between two Russian ships. One of them was a passenger ship; the other one was a freighter. It was on the Black Sea, and hundreds of passengers drowned uh, in this in this event. And in the investigation that followed, what they discovered was that this tragedy was not because the radar had malfunctioned. It wasn't because they lacked visibility. As a matter of fact, the captains on both ships were quite aware of each other's presence for some time as they were coming toward each other. But they simply refused to alter their course until it was too late. I'm going to go my way. You move. Now, here James is telling us, that's our problem. Each of us is determined to go our own way, even if it means we have to ram into somebody else. Now, I'm pretty sure that we're all on the same page here with this. Um, Okay, we shouldn't fight at church. But there still might be something that's a bit unsettling about all of this, and that is the extreme, exaggerated language that James is using here. Like, kill. 26 plus years here, I don't think I ever remember an ambulance ever coming to this building and dealing with the aftermath of a killing. He uses words like enemies of God, hatred toward God. I mean, don't you find that a bit harsh? After all, isn't it natural for people to have conflicts from time to time? But we're being forced here to ask ourselves a question. Is it really too extreme? Doesn't James, though, simply reflect the whole tenor of the entire New Testament? Even the Apostle John And his first letter said what? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So where are James and John getting this from? Why? You're ahead of me, aren't you? They're getting this from Jesus. Who told us that when we hate people, when we lash out at them, when we engage ourselves in verbal assassination. We've already murdered those relationships in our hearts. You see, it's not that James is exaggerating the nature of our quarrels and fight. It's that we're diminishing the significance that the impact that has when those kinds of things occur in our relationships. I mean, what does your relational cemetery look like? And so from God's perspective, we should be kind of deeply disturbed, Um, even horrified by how we treat each other. I know the world thinks that when I look in from the outside. Well, back to the question, what causes wars with each other? Jane basically takes us three places. So on your outline, number one, first, very bluntly, very simply, selfishness. Simply put, I want something, but I cannot have what I want. Now, all of us who are parents know that the propensity to fight for what we want shows up very early in life. I mean, you don't have to teach a two-year-old to fight when he or she wants something but can't have it. I mean, I don't know any of us that are sending our children to assertiveness training seminars. In fact, no one needs to teach any of us, do they, to fight to establish our own turf. Why, that comes rather naturally, doesn't it? Conflicts arise because of the ruthless internal drive to satisfy our own personal desires is simply being frustrated. And so it seems to me that collisions are inevitable, aren't they? Back some years ago, a mother, a son, and a daughter-in-law went on Good Morning America to explain why they had brought a lawsuit against Continental Airlines. Now, Continental Airlines flies in the South Sea areas amongst all the islands and takes people back and forth from there to Hawaii. Now, out of, out of, out of humanitarian concern, uh, this airline Uh, stops on many of the Micronesian islands and picks up people in need of medical attention and takes them over to Honolulu where they can get better uh, medical uh, care. Now, they don't carry people who have infectious diseases, but those who have very serious medical conditions that cannot be resolved and dealt with and provided for there in the islands, okay? So like angel wings, they picked up a man and two nurses. And unfortunately, on the flight, during the flight, the man died. Now, what did this family across the aisle do? Did they offer condolences to the family? Um, Did they offer any assistance uh, to these two nurses who, by the way, managed all of this without anyone else on the plane finding out? No. They sued the airlines, claiming that they had been returning from a vacation in Bali, and how this event had caused them great distress, and how now they were entitled to great compensation. And James would say, I completely understand where that's coming from. Why, that's the selfish heart wanting its own way. Here's the thing. There are 6.8 increasing, even as we speak, billion people on this planet. And every single one of them are insisting on their own way. So there's a good chance that we're going to get in each other's way. Now, the problem is, for me, I just can't get you to cooperate with my flow chart. Bart Starr, you know him. Famous, legendary quarterback, Green Bay Packers, won Super Bowl I, Super Bowl II back in the 1960s. He was speaking to a group of businessmen about how the legendary coach, Vince Lombardi was able to establish a football dynasty. And he stated that as you entered into Vince Lombardi's office, there behind this large mahogany desk was this rather impressive organizational chart. And on the top of the chart was a small block, and inside the block was printed the words Vince Lombardi, head coach, general manager. And then there was an arrow, and then there was a big, huge block, And in there was printed the word, everybody else. (laughs) Now, you see, if we could orchestrate life that way for ourselves, we would hardly have conflicts with anybody. If you can only be at peace... As long as others are as committed to gratifying your desires as you are, then you're going to spend the rest of your life declaring war. It's that simple. Second, prayerlessness. ness. Now, James says this, rather than arguing with your brother, try asking God. Look at verse 2 from the New Living Translation. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James says the solution is to ask God to meet your needs His way. And that's what I want to explore for the rest of this our time together. Remember what James tried to convince us of, again, back in chapter 1? I don't think I remember this, but it was the sermon entitled AskGod.com. He says there, let us ask the giving God. You see, God gets excited when he gets to share his resources of life with us. So, ask God. And he will be spontaneous about this. He will be very generous about this. He will be very impartial about all of this because God is not resentful of our dependence on him. And he will not call us to the carpet because we got a few problems in our life. He will not complain about our failures. He will not be half-hearted about how he responds to all of this. Because, because God will do what he says. God is great. God is good. God is caring. God is all-powerful. And so ask God for what you need rather than fighting to get what you want. Now, James anticipates the pew and the pulpit response to this. And he goes on to say that the only thing that short-circuits God response to us Is because God is not moved by temper tantrums any more than we parents are moved when our children pitch a fit because they cannot have what they want and hope to change our mind and give them what they want. But we don't typically give in to that, do we? Because our job as parents is not to teach our parents, our kids, how to be more selfish. Right? As Peter Davids puts it, this in this text is not about a trusting child asking for a meal, but about a greedy child asking for the best piece, or a spoiled child demanding his or her own way. And so in the same way, God isn't going to allow himself to be drawn into all of our skirmishes that only serve our own self-interest. You see, the purpose of prayer, listen to this, the purpose of prayer is not to get our will endorsed in heaven. The purpose is to get heaven's will played out on earth. We're always going the wrong direction with this. Roy de Lamont was a chaplain of Payne College. It's a small uh, 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 Christian college over in Georgia. And uh, they assigned him to speak uh, on a topic at their annual lectureship, and he ended up preaching what was the shortest sermon in the history of that lectureship. In fact, the sermon was shorter than the title. Now, Lamont was given a rather long topic, large topic to preach from, and it was this: What does what does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? And the complete content of his sermon was nothing. And then he sat down. And he later explained that what he was trying to do was to get the attention of people who were kind of winged and raised on this gimme gospel. That we're so fond of in America which, by the world, way, the world sees rather clearly about us. And then someone asked him, kind of, I guess, tongue-in-cheek, well, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon? And he smiled and said, about 20 years. And I understand what he means, because it, it takes some of us a long time walking behind Jesus before we finally get it. It's not about But if we're really honest, there are times in our lives when we'd rather fight than to pray like that. That is, I know deep in my heart that if I ask God to get involved in what I'm upset about, That God is going to speak to my heart and say, my answer for you is to continue to humbly deal with this so that I can be glorified through your loving spirit. And there are times, I don't want to hear that. So I fight instead. Finally, on your outlines, number three, cause, worldliness. Worldliness. And it's here that James takes us deeper into the progression and understanding our relationship with God. I want you to listen to James's progression. We already stated. He says that the reason we fight each other is because we're at war with ourselves. And now there in your outlines, the reason we're at war with ourselves is because there's a part of us deep inside that's still at war with God. Now, I'm sure that, that none of those who were part of the church that James addressed perceived or saw themselves as being enemies of God. Anyone here feel that way? But you see, it's possible to be working against God and never have one hostile thought about Him. It all has to do with how you define your relationship. With God. In essence, James asks us this question How can you expect God to be intimate with you if you have another lover? You see, God desires to be our provider. Remember, He's enthusiastic about this. And so, He's rightfully saddened. Um, angered, not in the sense of having it up to here with us, but kind of uh, possessively, relationally angered when he finds us in the arms of the world. Because what we're implying is that what God offers us is not enough. I mean, how do you feel if your wives thought that way about you and vice versa? What is it that the psalmist says? My soul rests in God alone. Apparently, back some years ago, there in Westminster section of London, England, it was discovered that all the errand boys whistled out of tune. And finally, someone noted that in that same area, all the bells that chimed in Westminster, uh, that chimed off the hours uh, each hour, uh, were also out of tune. And so they came to realize that it was from all of these chimes in Westminster that these errand boys unconsciously developed their pitch. Get the idea? That's what happens to us, James says we naively chase after trying to find life in something other than Jesus. We go on the campus to find life, we go into to other things in the world around us, and that's where we find the essence of our life. We go to church, we find our life elsewhere. And so my life kind of gets out of sync with God, without even knowing it. I've kind of picked up this kind of discordant tune In my life, something isn't just right. And James says, that's why you fight. You've picked up so much of the world around you that you've become, you're acting like an enemy of God. Well, what are we going to do about all of this? I remember one day, my brother and I had fought pretty much all day long. Somewhere during the afternoon, my mother had finally had enough. And after asking who started this, she threw down the ultimate throwdown, and uh, she says, I'm telling your father. And when my dad came home, that's what she did. My father did not even go upstairs as he typically did, take off his suit and come back down in more casual clothes. He took my brother and I immediately. We walked down into our basement, which kind of was a makeshift kind of workout room. He had my brother and I put on our 16-ounce boxing gloves. The typical ones are about 8 ounces. So, you know... There's some padding here. And basically had us swing away at each other nonstop until we literally dropped dead from exhaustion. Now, as all of this began, you know what I was thinking? This is great. I get to beat up my brother and my father sanctions it. But by the time we had reached the end of this world record length bout, one round, I changed my tune a bit because after several minutes of boxing nonstop, and when we kept, and when we wanted to pause, Dad just, he was just hit us on the side of the head. Keep going! There was no rest. After several minutes of nonstop, all we could do was lean against each other in just total collapse. And we had these two things, two arms like noodles. You know, you could just... we just... <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know, for a short while, a couple of weeks, that kind of broke us of our appetite to fight. Now, that's one way to solve this Here. But it doesn't last that long. James takes us a different direction by reminding us of two things that will help restrain our tendency to fight. Bottom of your outlines, number one, remember that God is jealous for you. James reminds us, verse 5, the new century version, don't you know that the spirit that God made to live in us wants wants us for himself alone? You see, what James is saying here is that when we're tempted to quarrel and fight, listen to the Holy Spirit. God has placed in us a Holy Spirit that longs intensely for our affection. And the Holy Spirit will prompt us to turn to God, so rather than fighting our brothers and our sisters, we'll choose to turn to God and ask Him for what we want. And so you ask, well, what is it that I need? And James says, grace. Which brings us to the second point. Number two, on your outlines, remember to surrender to God's grace. Verse 6 tells us, but God gives us even more grace. Now, you've got to understand this, what he's getting at. You see, even when I've gotten out of tune with God and I'm behaving like an enemy, God is eager to meet my needs. I mean, God never tires of giving out his grace. We all know the show, uh... Uh, who wants to be a millionaire, you know? Um, you may not know that the original version of the show, before it came to America, was first telecast in England. And there were, you know, some differences between how they played this thing out. But, but one of the major differences uh, was that the questions asked by the British version were much tougher than the questions that they asked on the American version. And so rarely did anyone win any big money. And when, so when they you know, brought the show to America, the same company that had insured the British version decided to insure the American version as well. But when the contestants here started winning so much money, the insurance company filed suit saying, the questions are far too easy. We're giving away far too much money. And I'm thinking, aren't you glad God's not like that? I mean, God is enthusiastic about providing what you and I need in life. There is absolutely no end to God's delight about this. Now, here's the great thing. On your outlines, when I submit to God's grace, I can relax. I'm at peace because there's nothing that can frustrate God's ability to meet my needs. You see where that takes us? So when I come to God, he's either going to give me what I want or he's going to give me the strength I need to not need what I want. do you understand? As Augustine put it, God gives what he demands. And so either way, I'm not in a fight mood anymore. I'm at rest because God is fighting for me. Well, well, We all get bent out of shape by other people. Now, I know some sermons, you know, don't apply to everybody. And and, and the rest of you, when I'm doing a sermon like that, or Tom, you know, you're very graceful and you listen anyway. But this is one sermon where all of us fall here, right? We all get bent out of shape by other people. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you right now to think of the first person that comes to your mind when I ask you, who's been getting under your skin lately? Don't look at them. (laughs) Just think in your mind. Now, your simple assignment is this. God, give me more, grace. If we can serve you in any way here at this church family, we encourage you to feel free to come forward now as we stand and as we sing.